if you've been on this live, if you have watched this podcast live, y'all know I struggle on the intro, and it is what it is, and I did it again, but it's okay, because I've made up for it, and um, I'm just glad to uh, be on on the podcast this week, so thank you all for your grace in uh, allowing me to learn how to um, operate all of these systems at one time. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, we're all learning. We're all learning and growing together, and that's just part of it. So welcome to another week. I, I'm on a roll um, on the podcast. I have been relentlessly um, sticking to this weekly uh, podcast, and I'm really excited to know that um, I'm booked for the next two weeks, and I'm working on trying to get um, the the rest of the month. But um, I just want to I want to send a few reminders um, that uh, just in a couple weeks, you all, the 19th through the 25th um, is the uh, annual the sixth annual Creating Trauma Sensitive Schools Conference that's put on by the Attachment Trauma Network, and this year the Trauma Informed Educators Network is actually uh, partnering. Uh, and sponsoring the amazing gathering, the largest gathering of trauma-informed educators in North America. Um, as I mentioned before on all of the other podcasts, um, some of the pioneers of this work, some of the, the, the uh, p- a lot of people from the podcast are going to be there speaking, including Dr. Lori Desitels, um, who will be on uh, n- next, no, two weeks, in two weeks, um, the 16th. She will be on here um, for the second time, talking about her new book, talking about um, about the conference, all of that good stuff. And of course, Jim Spore leader, Joe Brummer, Melissa Saden, James Moffitt, all of a lot of previous guests are going to be there. Um, and it is going to be, oh, and Jesse Kohler actually will be there from CTIP. He was on here as well. Um, but registration is open and you can still get in uh, right now. So if you uh, have not registered, please do so. We would love to see you there um, as we all hang out and have a great time together. If you are live with us, you can get the um, you can get the link actually in the comments. If you are not, you can go to www.attachmenttraumanetwork.org backslash conference backslash. Then I would be amiss if I talked about the ATN conference and didn't talk about the Trauma-Informed Educators Network conference, which is June 22nd and 23rd. It is virtual this year. Um, but as promised, I think there is a grand scheming plan happening for 2024 to be back in person. And I, my guest today is kind of smirking because she's aware of this this plan that I think is going to be awesome. But right now the RFP is still open for the, um, to present that closes February 10th. You can go on the trauma informed educators network, uh, website, which is T I E N network.org. Go over to, um, uh, to the, to the top tab that I think it's under resources. I don't remember, honestly, um, but drop down and hit the conference and there is a link there, or you can go to any of our social media and it's usually pinned at the top to see that. Also some really big news that I'm, I'm actually extremely excited about. We met with the national uh, conference planning team yesterday and I just looked at everybody and said, we're charging way too much. And they said, yeah. So we've dropped registration by $100. It is only, early bird is only $169 for two days. 
it's, I mean, so many sessions, that are, it's probably going to be 30 plus hours of professional learning for $169 um, pre uh, early or getting early bird and then 199 after the early bird. Um, and it will be worth it. We do the conference a little different than most. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of these practices today, but we actually want to build a conference that creates networks and connections. So we have home groups where you'll join the same group of people virtually uh, throughout the conference. Um, we also have some amazing keynote speakers, including a previous guest on here, Dr. Ricky Gibbs. And then Dr. Lori Desitels will also be uh, presenting at the Trauma-Informed Educators Network Conference. And we have one more, but I can't announce it quite yet, but you all uh, will be knocked out by her brilliance um, if I, when I can announce it. So nonetheless, if you haven't registered for the conference, please do so. Get in there before March 1st because um, it will go up by $30, and I want to save everybody a little bit of money. Um, and also plan this conference effectively. So uh, let's get let's get to tonight's guest. And um, this is episode number 78, which, wow, it's basically, I told somebody the other day, I said, I think there's almost 100 hours of professional learning um, in this podcast. So um, I can't believe that it, I've been doing it this long and, and getting this many amazing guests. And tonight is no different. Um, I will start by telling you all that, unfortunately, uh, this was supposed to be two people, and um, one of our guests had a family emergency, and simply um, we respect it 100% needed to be with his family. So Dr. Anthony Pico, um, who is an elected chairman of the Vihas Band of Kumeyaay Indians, um, is unable to be with us. But I hope that one day uh, Dr. Anthony Pico can be back. But his... Um, his ally and ally of many is here, and I can't wait for you to talk to uh, Dana Brown. She was an inner city community organizer for over 25 years. She's founded numerous youth leadership programs in elementary, middle, high school, and inner city police divisions, partnering with juvenile services. Um, she's done all kinds of work, and even in, in 2017, uh, Dr. Felidi, which you may recognize that name, uh, introduced Dana to Dr. Anthony Pico, who was going to be with us tonight. Um, now, um, on the Warrior Spirit family leadership team, um, they passionately are focused on healing indigenous families from historical trauma and ACEs, collaborating with several tribal nations in California and beyond. They're integrating a truth-telling in public education and social service sectors. That's just a little bit of your story, Dana. I am not going to take any more of your... Um, your experience. I want to welcome you and and tell us what is the Dana story? What's the rest of the Dana story? Well, thank you, Matthew. Very grateful, humbled, and honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Dana Brown. I'm a fifth-generation immigrant uh, born, on the, with, born with unearned privilege on the land of Sock and Meskwaki, uh, Iowa farm girl, and didn't realize that I was born with unearned privilege until uh, 2005. I went to a book signing by Robert Jensen, a white gentleman who wrote a book called The Heart of Whiteness, Confronting Race, Racism, and White Privilege. And I, I walked out of there crying and, and made a vow, oh, I can still feel it, <laughs> uh, made a vow to our creator that every day, and I do and I will, <laughs> 
Uh, every day I use my whiteness as a bridge to dismantle uh, oppression, uh, systemic racism, and do everything that I can to help support the, the healing. And so uh, when, as Matthew shared, when Dr. Vincent Folletti introduced me to Dr. Anthony R. Pico in 2017, and being white, uh, you move at the speed of trust and trust takes time. And so throughout that process of building trust, um, I helped put together a, there were five of us that put together a three-day in-person calling upon the warrior spirit to heal historical trauma at uh, Viejas Band of Kumeyaay Nation. And those three days, there were around 300 attendees. We all stayed together in one room. There were no breakouts. Um, it was amazing. Dr. Folletti was the keynote. And, uh, and so now our warrior spirit family, which is what we call our leadership team, we have continued to work together ever since then. And generally speaking, bi-weekly, I'll host Zoom meetings for us. We have a lot of different efforts that, that we are working on and really want to weave through. Uh, all of us have indigenous wisdom um, and, and then really lift up the truth telling like, like Matthew uh, shared. It's so critically imperative. And so when I, when I started learning some of these truths of things that I was not taught, in public education um, in our California became a state in 1850. And in 1851, the first governor, Peter Burnett, a slave owning family said in an address to legislature, we shall wage a war of extermination between the two races until the Indian race becomes extinct and held propaganda in town hall meetings up and down California at a time when gold rush and settler folks were making an average of 25 cents a day that if they brought in the scalp or the head of a Native American man, they'd be paid $5, the scalp or the head of a Native American uh, woman, $2.50, the scalp or the head of a Native American child, a dollar. California paid those bounties to settlers and gold rush folks, and the federal government reimbursed California over a million dollars. And so this, it's so critically imperative that I would encourage all of us to, to lean into truth telling. And I don't know what I don't know. Uh, being white, I, I strive to be very mindfully, culturally humble, uh, which is a First Nations Health Authority definition of showing up everywhere you are as a, as a learner and listening to understand another's experience. And Matthew articulated that earlier of, you know, we're all students and we're all teachers. And I, I'm a servant leader and I'm really passionate about this work. And, and I want to ultimately to have 8.5 billion people, just like all of you that are, that are part of this network, you're truly leaders on the front line of systems change. So bless you for what you do on behalf of children, youth and families. And people are probably wondering, what does this have to do with trauma-informed education? It has everything to do with trauma-informed education. I think right now, if you are in education and if you are watching uh, what's happening across our country, you'll see that truth-telling is there is an active fight against truth-telling. And it's not just... Um, what Dana had mentioned about that, the, the depths of that historical context. But it goes ac across all cultures that are not fitting the majority of the U.S. culture. 
I know that there's all kinds of controversy and there's all kinds of pushing against. If you watch the news of what's happening in Florida right now, you know that there was, and I've been reading extensively on it, the um, removal of AP courses on African-American history, right? I understand today is the second day of African-American history, and there's a reason we're having this conversation today as well, because it goes back to multiple experiences that are historic in our country that we simply don't want to have a conversation around. And we have to have these conversations, right? It's okay to have these conversations. I have a 12-year-old. I've been having these conversations with him since he was old enough to understand it, right? And so I, I want to connect why we're having this. And, and really, Dana, it comes down to um, a lot that's happening. And, and we're going to get to how you became an ally and all. But I, I want to start off with, tell us about this, the California AB 1703, mm-hmm. because I think it really connects on why this is important and how some states, right, are handling it. I'm in Tennessee. We have an anti-CRT critical race theory law. My school, the school district in which I live, it had a three books that were trying to ban on racial reckoning just last week. Um, there's a lot happening across the country, but it isn't all bad, right? There's a lot of lights and a lot of hope that's coming through. So tell us about AB 1703. Sure, absolutely. So when Governor Newsom uh, apologized for to Native Americans throughout California for the slaughter and the gen- genocide and declared that he want he wanted truth telling in public education. And then uh, Assemblymember James Ramos, who's the first Native American elected to the legislation in California only in 2018, authored Assembly Bill 1703, California Indian Education Act, California Indian Education Task Forces. And the bill, which passed through the first time, which is slightly unusual, uh, became law in September. It became it was passed in September last year and became law January of this year. Uh, is the is this having local tribes partner with public school districts, charter school districts, San Diego County offices of education up and down California. So it's proximate because we know every single tribal nation is very unique with their ceremony and custom and language and food. And and so it's it's so hopeful to me. Our San Diego County Board of Supervisors declared racism a public health crisis unanimously in San Diego County. So we have this brilliant opportunity, which I didn't know if I would see in my lifetime. And I'm so hopeful at the end of every day because we have grassroots to grass tops, cross sector and a social ecological model across the lifespan throughout the state, throughout the region that we can help ignite the tipping point and help help build capacity on this momentum of what our creator has put in our hands and our hearts and our souls. It's a tremendously exciting time. And like you articulated, Matthew, that this is, you can't have these kind of conversations in every state. So I put my energy where I know we can. And using my whiteness to raise a lot of opportunities for, uh, for having these deep-rooted equity-focused conversations. And I'm in a Pace of Science statewide facilitator with Learn for Life. I know you met our uh, Craig Basswick, our vice president of school. He was, on here, lot, he was on here two weeks ago. Listen yep, to that episode, yep. y'all. Yep. Shout out to Craig. 
And um, and so we we have uh, three of our schools did a six part series anti racism and allyship series, and literally have smart goal. It may, it's just gorgeous. The last one is next Friday, and then they'll start. You know, they'll carry it forward. So we're doing the deep deep rooted work. I don't know how much Craig shared about our trauma resilient educational communities. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, Matthew, I can certainly articulate that as well. And What's really exciting is that Craig, uh, for the next two years, Craig and I are going to be the co-leads for six county cooperative of communities in California, and we are framing them as trauma-resilient county cooperatives that'll be a decolonization model. And so it's the counties of Los Angeles and Madera and Riverside, San Bernardino, San Diego to Lair County in alignment with other county cooperatives that are already in California, which is Fresno and Orange County and Santa Barbara and Yolo. And so we're really, and I know you're nurturing, you're helping us get all that organized. It's exhilarating. And then to be to be really intentional that it is with our tribes, with, with the fundamental hypothesis, it should always be with, we should never do two or four, it should be with. And so building trust, you know, we're gonna chip away at this coalition of the willing, meet people where they are, bring, it's very transparent, it's very inclusive. We need all hands on deck because I don't know. I've done as an organizer inner city for 25 years. I've been part of so many initiatives and, you know, and, and then you get a new principal, you get a new CEO. And if it's not deeply entrenched in policy, so it's part of practice, it's part of the culture, that pendulum swings, you got to start all over. I don't have enough decades left to keep starting over. So oh, I'm getting angel hugs. When you get the tingles, I feel like angels because truth is being spoken. And so this is a phenomenal time in history that that at least where our feet are, you know, what we're doing, we want to decolonize. Well, and I'll tell you, Dana, I know you're putting your energy where you can, and I'm putting the energy where you're not supposed to. That is part of my unapologetic disrupting spirit. Um <laughs> My, I, I constantly am sending <laughs> some school board members uh, information of like, hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. Hey, you may want to think this. I met with one actually when he was uh, first elected and I was like, I want to give you a book. And I gave him Bruce Berry's book. And um, I, 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 it takes all of us. Right. And I love that you're talking about the communities. And for those of you who do not know, I actually um, I am I work for Pace's Connection, which is Positive and Adverse Child Experiences Connection. And um, I help develop um, and foster community um, connections and resiliency around this work, right? How do we collaboratively and collectively work together to move the work in which we are healing center trauma informed, right? And it's cross sector. So it's not just schools. We're talking uh, cross sector collaboration. And I think the power of what you're doing, Dana, and what Craig is trying to accomplish is elevating youth voice as well. So the indigenous youth, not just the elders, but the elders are a part of it. But the youth, right, is elevating their voice. And I think when I heard the news story about what's happening in Florida, Dana, one of the things that they were so adamantly against was um, a teaching advocacy and how to teach in those courses. What does that look like? 
And that to me, when our when when there's fear around our kids using their voice, that should speak louder than the voices that are silencing our youth, right? And it, it it just it 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 it's so passionate. And here's the thing. The practices in which you've learned being an ally, and we're going to get to that in, in a bit, are very similar to practices that are coming around as new and innovative, right? Like this idea of circle and this idea of community and this idea of healing, this idea of relationships. These aren't new concepts. And right. that was the that's the premise of this, right? Looking at the indigenous healing practices, and, and I hate that we don't have... Dr. Anthony Pico here to talk about his life experience, but talk about your interactions with uh, your role and and how all of these are connected, because it's not by happen chance that we are going back and looking at these these community based cultures mm-hmm. that um, that's that healed. Right. Even in the midst of adversity, there was still a connectedness and community of of healing and hope. So talk about how you see that connection to some of the practices that are um, happening today in uh, in this work. Yeah, absolutely, Matthew. So over the years, uh, mentoring inner city, uh, I have many, many friends that would say they identify as many different cultures. And there were numerous times that I was the only person that identified as white in the room, in the meeting. And so I learned years ago and building trust with, with youth that, uh, that are justice impacted, gang impacted, living with whatever kind of trauma they're, they're living through chronic complex systems induced acute vicarious. It, I have found, and I'm very mindful of it every day, show up your authentic self, listen to learn. When I was building trust with with uh, Anthony and, and others on Warrior Spirit Family, I didn't really say a whole lot for a long time. I listened and I learned and, and anything I offered to do 100%. I mean, there were five of us that put on a three-day in-person ceremony and conference within within four and a half months. We worked hard. <laughs> and so in that process, I have learned that always do what you say you're going to do. Never make any promises that you may not be even able to keep. Be very authentic. Show up culturally humble. Uh, listen to learn another's experience. And always 100% follow through on what you say you're going to do. I mean, initially, I called it just show up and shut up. <laughs> But really just showing up and being present. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you need to be there. If you say you're going to do something, you absolutely have to accomplish that. And so slowly over time, they can see this is a trustworthy person. This is someone who's authentic. This is someone who's vulnerable. This is someone who cares passionately. And and it builds a kinship. And now our warrior spirit family, Kenneth G. White Jr., Navajo Diné is on our Warrior Spirit family, and he authored a chapter 23 in this book, calling upon whoops, calling upon the Warrior Spirit to heal to address historical trauma mm-hmm. uh, among Indigenous people. And the this came out this Routledge textbook textbook came out the Routledge International Handbook of Indigenous Resilience 
on December 31st, a year ago. And the editor, when Kenneth chatted with her, she put his chapter that he co-wrote chapter 20 at chapter 23 in section five. And he said, why, why is it in section five? Section five is reframing the narrative from problem to opportunity because the editor feels that war, what Warrior Spirit Family is doing is one of, there, there's four chapters in that section, is one of the solutions for healing our world. Mm. And, and how powerful. And, and you know, I, I think too, uh, what I want people to hear from you is that when you say building trust, it's not building trust with a motive. It's building trust with the authentic ability to stand in a space, hold space, listen, and, and learn. Um, because, you know, I, I did a I did a, uh, a, a post the other day, and I, I meant it, right? And, and by no means does this apply to this, but I, I think when we hear about building trust and relationships and standing in spaces where we have to be the learner, right? I want educators to think about that in a classroom, too. There are times we have to be a learner in our own rooms, right? And there's this big push, Dana, for relationships. Relationships are the key to getting kids to heal, right? But I think what's happened over time is we've weaponized relationships if we look at them incorrectly. And not in this case by any means, but in schools, we, we teach teachers to build relationships to modify behavior, right? And I think this is where you and the, 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 the warrior spirit has been so powerful is the relationships, they're authentic. They're there to learn. You're not going in to go, I need to build relationships so I can teach. I'm going to build relationships because one, I'm an authentic human connecting to another authentic human. And two, I want to learn. That sometimes is where we need to stand in as educators. We need relationships to learn. Relationships are the conduit to belonging and healing. Relationships with the intent to change somebody, to fix something, to modify behavior is not healthy and it's not okay. And I hear what I hear you saying. It resonates with me so much because when you stand in relationship with with someone and in, 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 it doesn't matter if it's individual or group, in that space of a learner and a listener, it changes the dynamic of how you interact, right? And and there's so much to learn in that for educators because we don't have all the answers, right? We're supposed to. We feel like we're supposed to, but we don't. Sometimes our kids give us the answers. Sometimes in your work, the people you work with are giving you the answers for your own work, not even for theirs, right? Um, yeah. Because in so many spaces, they have, they know what it takes to be able to heal. It's sometimes barriers that are in their way because of systems that were um, built to not allow that to happen that prevent the ultimate healing, which is what you were talking about in AB 1703, which is an affirmation and an apology that this happened and we have to do something about it. It made me think, Dana, of my time in New Zealand, and we have a large <laughs> listenership here. Um, in New Zealand. I learned a lot in my very short period of time um, when I was speaking there, and it was in this space. What New Zealand is committing to do to the 
um, reckoning of what happened to the indigenous people, the Maori, and I probably am not saying that correctly, but that's the best way I can pronounce it. The Maori people is they're not only recognizing it, they're changing things to make sure that people understand that they, they recognize it and they want to do it differently. And I think that's what I hear the power in the work that you have collaboratively done with Dr. Anthony Pico. It's, it's like, no, we're going to we're going to demand and make it done differently. And we're going to tell the truth the whole way up to getting to the point of what needs to happen. So tell us a little bit more about why you feel that dismantling systematic racism is such a priority of the communities that you spoke about. And why is it why does it need to happen? Right. Because. There's so much fear driven in so many spaces about this idea of dismantling system, systemic racism and racial reckoning, right? And, 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 and apologizing and, and, and affirming that these things happened. Why is that such a priority for your six communities that, you, that we are working uh, going to be working with? Yeah, absolutely. The... Systems-induced trauma is the one that outrages me the most because all of our tax dollars perpetuated all day long every day. And I've delved into a lot of history because uh, I only want to speak truth. I only want to be a conduit of the truth. And so when we look at this young nation here in the United States that was founded on racism, uh, Native Americans are written as merciless savages in the Constitution genocide, displacement, boarding schools, on and on with, with Native and tribal nations, enslavement of African Americans, the government recruited Chinese uh, individuals to come here and help build the Transcontinental Railroad when it was complete. They started the first public immigration law, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 to kick them out. Look at what, what has happened with Mexico um, the, the children, Executive Order 9066, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, and that was then uh, became in California and beyond the Japanese prison camps, redlining, which still exists to this day, um, housing. It's, it's anyone, anyone that is of color. And preschool to prison pipeline, you could do a whole podcast on preschool to prison pipeline. It, it's just... It hurts my heart. It hurts a lot of people I care profoundly about. Um, and I'm, and 0% of this is about people not being held accountable. That is 0% of this whole understanding. Everyone should be held accountable with compassion. But we have a very, we can have a very punitive approach and just punishing an individual. And, and then the, that, and then the systems is going to keep them oppressed and then blame them. You're not trying hard enough pull up, you know, get, pull your, up yourself up by your bootstraps. All of it's mind boggling to me and outrageous. And, and I have to do something about it every single day because I refuse to be complicit. So as we speak, there are people enduring, you know, look at the prison system. Let's pull people, let's, let's isolate people from family. Let's move them further and further away from each other. We are harmed in relationship. We are healed through relationships. We neurologically are wired. We need each other. We all know secure attachment and protective factors and, you know, the mirror neurons serve and return with primary caregiver and, and influence. We need each other. 
So the to to think that we should invest our time with with this punishment of individual people, it's insidious to me. We have to decolonize and dismantle and have these hard conversations about truth that is a mile deep and an inch wide, not an inch deep and a mile wide. We need a, an, a mile long and an inch wide and more and more and more people having having these courageous conversations. And I would like to offer that we need a lot more white people that haven't yet realized they were born with unearned privilege that will lean in. People of color have been having these conversations since birth. It's true. And I think that that is so important because I, Dr. Um, Tracy Benson was on here and he wrote the, um, he wrote the book Unconscious Bias in Schools. And he said something that just always has, re has always resonated with me and it's intent and outcome. And it's, it's not that in people intend necessarily right to have these these ideas and thoughts, but it's the outcome. It doesn't matter if you intend or not intend. It's the outcome that it's producing, right? So it's our responsibility as individuals to say why are these outcomes being perpetuated and what is my role in it. Yeah. And I think you and I know Ingrid uh, Cochran very well. She was like the third guest on here. Another profound conversation around historical trauma she says we are the system right we can't talk about the system if we're not talking about ourselves so it's constantly having this idea of self-reflection of what is my role in this right and it's if you and myself and a billion not billions millions of other people could change it we would change it today right yeah. And, and they're, unfortunately, we're unraveling things that are so rooted that it takes time. You and I have spoken about this before. We may not see the fruits of this labor in our lifetime. But if we could only think that my grandchildren or my child or their grandchildren could live in a space in a place where these conversations do not have to happen, right? And that is where sometimes it's hard because we don't, there's times you don't get wins, right? And you're so right. Um, and we're gonna, I'm, 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 I'm gonna have a guest on here to talk about just that. These conversations have been happening, happening in the indigenous cultures forever. These conversations have been ha happening in the African American communities since slavery. This isn't anything new, right? Mm -hmm. It's that we, as as white Americans, and I got to trace my ancestry. Um, thanks to the other podcast that I do, History, Culture, and Trauma, I never had traced my ancestry. And I found my whole one side of my family is straight from England. The other one is straight from France. My grandmother, um, she is a second-generation Hungarian. I couldn't trace anything back to before they came to America. But my other side, some of my other grandparents and families, I could trace them back to the 1600s. And yet... There are people that can't trace their lineage back but just a couple generations because that's how young and that's how recent some of, the, of what we're talking about happened. There isn't even, there's no record of human beings that existed because at the time they weren't even perceived as human beings, right? Yeah. So I think that this is why you and I and so many people are passionate about this because we have to rehumanize this. 
It isn't simply just something that happened a long time ago. We now know through the intergenerational transmission of trauma science through what was started with the Holocaust, which, by the way, there was $85 million of reparations given to the Holocaust victims and their families, just so um, the record is straight. It has happened, and it has uh, impacted uh, the generations that have had to endure what their previous um, generations had experienced in trauma. But this work is it just it, it's it seems never ending right and it seems like um we we make headway and then you see news like i watched today and i'm like what is happening so i also can say that the dysfunction of post-covid as is ravaging things right that there's trying to be more stronghold because there is such a discombobulation occurring that we're trying to digress back to things we used to do because that's where safety lies for the majority of people. But what do you see this work looking like, Dana, in the next 15, 20, 30, way beyond us? What does it look like to you when we're talking about dismantling systems of racism and decolonization and healing communities um, based off of the historical context of trauma and intergenerational transmission that has happened um, over the last several hundred years. Yeah, my Matthew, my my hope, my prayer, um, and I'm so honored to do it with Craig Beswick that that we can really help nurture at least with the six county cooperatives that will be co-leading for the next two years in alignment with the other cooperatives, the coalition of the willing, we'll call it, um, that we create a, a pilot, a, a model that, because Pace's connection is global. I feel like we have, San Diego County could be ground zero. Dr. Folletti lives here. We have more reservations in any county in the United States. So, so we have a profound opportunity uh, in our hands and our hearts and our souls to be very intentional with what we're doing here in California as a model that I hopefully will ignite a tipping point. And once you ignite a tipping point, it's like the hundredth monkey theory, once you ignite a tipping point, it's got a life all its own. And then that becomes more the norm because you know, when you mentioned about intergenerational transmission of trauma, we know through the science of epigenetics that the moment a female finds out she's pregnant, she has in her epigenetics her ancestors' DNA and carrying it forward for the next seven generations. So that would be cultural trauma, historical trauma, and survivance. That's all in our DNA. So we all carry within us any of the traumas that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, ancestors have endured. That's within us. And we can mark with those markers in our DNA that we can help ourselves heal. I firmly believe that indigenous wisdom, which each of us have because of through our ancestors, indigenous wisdom has a power to heal our world. And our, our uh, theme of calling upon the warrior spirit to heal historical trauma at Viejas in October, 2018 was indigenous wisdom and Western medicine will heal all living things, animal life, plant life, mother earth, and human beings. I passionately believe that's true. And so, you know, what you did down in New Zealand, what this Routledge textbook, which is indigenous cultures throughout the world, how can we, it's like you mentioned towards the beginning, how can we be with intentionality 
weave together these these collaboratives, these initiatives, weave them together with intentionality that is very equity focused. Everyone, the same North Star, um, you know, be culturally responsive. Dr. Jeff, uh, Jeff Duncan Andrande, it wouldn't be a cookie cutter, but it would be a framework that would be um, customized, modified based on the tribes and the needs of that neck of the woods, that region, that city, ensure that community members that have lived experiences have been in foster, experience homeless, trauma in education, law enforcement, whatever, whatever system, cross-sector, because um, systems induce trauma. The vast majority of people that I've mentored over years don't trust the systems because they've endured systems-induced trauma. So we got to get ahead of it. We we know what these solutions are. You know, indigenous, they know they did burns. We wouldn't have the wildfires. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have the, the drought, in my perspective. We would have clean rivers, clean oceans, clean land. The Mother Earth would not be gouged and scraped and burned. And she's hurting. Mother Earth is hurting. I really feel indigenous wisdom and partnering with our tribal nations around the world is going to help save mother earth we have uh, so much um i think we could talk for hours dana i know um you're right and somebody said um amen to to failure of systems you all here's the thing i get i get accused of this all the time people on my personal social media are constantly saying you just hate america no, that is not the case, right? I don't hate systems. <laughs> the country I live in, right? Yeah. But I also am I'm not afraid to say what we've done is 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 not okay and what we continue to do is not okay. And I, I find it very interesting that when you talk about the things that have happened that have not and have been awful, people think you're talking you're 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 not speaking, you're just talking bad about where we live. Yeah, that's the case because those things occurred, right? And if we're not willing to own those, I think if we even look at the PCE study, the positive childhood experiences study, they found that if you don't embrace the bad things that have occurred, validate them and, and honor them, right? And, and recognize them while also looking at the positive things, then your actual mental health comes out worse. When you pretend it doesn't happen. So our collective mental health has worse until we decide to go, this happened. And what are we going to do differently? Because Dana, I had a conversation this morning. This starts very early on in our, it starts before our schools for sure. Absolutely. Right. But it starts so early on in schools. And I've heard this. And most of you, if, if you have not watched the most recent video out of Detroit, by all means, I would never encourage anybody to do that. I hear this all the time. Well, people just need to do what they're told. If they just did what they were told, then it would be fine. If they just did what they were told. Doing what we were told is why we got into situations we're in right now. We can no longer just simply do what we're told because we're doing what we're told and it's disrespectful. We don't do what you're told. If what we're doing is harming people, right? Whether it's physiologically, whether it's sociologically, it doesn't matter if we're hurting people. And I want to go right back into schools, right? If you know what you're doing is not building and healing kids, then we've got to start questioning, why are we doing this? 
Why are we doing this? Because there's reasons why. And I think we will, Dana, you mentioned it. We will do a podcast on preschool to prison pipeline. I have a couple people. Matter of fact, um, one that I'm thinking of um, interviewed me for the Learning for Justice uh, magazine, which I shared on the Trauma-Informed Educators Network. Uh, but Anthony Conright is uh, an ex-educator and now journalist who talks about, in his article here, the decarceration begins with school discipline reform. Right. Mm -hmm. What we need to do in schools and if we could shift the paradigms in schools, it could change systems because we're building kids that have experienced a different system. But if we continue to perpetuate the systems that are in place, we're simply producing kids that are in the system and which we don't which we already know isn't working. So yeah. that was a lot. Sorry, Dana, that was like a rant, but I had to get it off of my chest. Dana, if people if people want to follow you or want to get in touch with you or want to learn more about Dr. Anthony and the work you all are doing, where can they find that information? You mentioned one of the books um, and you may want to say that whole title again and the author um, because people on the podcast can't see it, but if you'll oh, say okay. that, that would be awesome. Okay. It's the Routledge International Handbook of Indigenous Resilience edited by Hillary N. Weaver. W-E-A-V-E-R. How cool that's her last name when weaving is what mm -hmm. you know is gonna help help all this. And uh, and I also work with Paces Connection. I'm the organizational liaison there. And my email is dbrown, uh, B-R-O-W-N at pacesconnection.com, just like just like Matthews is. And yes, the more that uh, we have a Warrior Spirit Family Facebook page. I, I could share that with you, Matthew, or I join your network so I could put it in there. Yeah, we need all of us. And it's, you know, every day I think about it, it's really simple to me. I'm either part of the problem or I'm part of the solution. And I am going to be part of the solution 100% the rest of my life. God, God be willing, creator be willing. And... When I and oh, Dr. Tia Martinez is a friend of mine, and she has done a fabulous Prezi on preschool to prison pipeline. I did some research a few years ago to in, introduce somebody at an event, and that particular year in California, they funded twelve thousand five hundred dollars to educate a child in public education, and that particular year they funded sixty five thousand dollars a year to house an individual in jail or prison, and if they were on death row, it was 125,000 a year. So when I reflect on that value system, 12,500 a year to educate, 125,000 a year per individual to incarcerate, I'm outraged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but, but you, we, also, we also have to validate that incarceration is a business, right? It is Very privatized. Much. So we have to think about that, you all, and I'm not gonna get off on this tangent, but public education is publicly funded incarceration is privately ran so we need to think about why is that why is the incarceration rates higher in the US than anywhere else in the world if you want to see a post about that just look at my Facebook because I just posted um, that did you also know that um, in America you're 25 times more likely to die from gun violence than in any other um, industrialized nation there's so much that we could talk about and we will um, in the coming weeks here. Thank you all. I do want to say 
that um, if any of what we just said f- made you feel discomfort, I want to say pause for a minute and live in that and ask yourself, why was that so hard for me to hear? Why was it so hard for me to listen to if you made it this long? Or if you're like, yes, then you know to continue this work because it's so important. Um, these are topics a lot of people don't want to discuss, um, but we here at the Trauma-Informed Educators Network and myself, we are willing to discuss topics that make us, Dana and I, and everybody else a bit uncomfortable um, because uncomfortable is where we grow. So as always, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Principalist on Instagram and Twitter. We now, I got to make a new uh, board here behind me if you're live because we have all kinds of new uh, social media. If you want to follow the Trauma-Informed Educators Network, it's T-I-E-N Network, P-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow the network on Facebook, it's the T-I-E-N Network. And on LinkedIn, it is also the T-I-E-N Network. I started a new LinkedIn. 500 people in like two weeks. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, if you want to follow me, you can follow Matthew Portel. You're going to get a little mix of everything. You're probably going to see pictures of my son playing soccer and maybe me fishing. And then some things like I posted today about my um, frustration with current laws that are occurring. So it could be a lot. But if you're not part of the Trauma-Informed Educators Network group, we are now 31,000 people strong. Please join the group. Like the page. We we are now up to 52,000 followers and 33-something thousand likes. Um, and so this movement is growing, and I'm really excited to simply be a conduit for it. I am not the movement. I'm just um, operating the platform for people to come together. Oh, which reminds me. If you made it this far, we are um, starting on the network a, I think it's going to be monthly based off the feedback. I'm still getting feedback, but it's going to be a global gathering um, once a month um, of us just to get together as a group of people. We're going to have a topic to discuss, then we're going to break out into groups, and then we're going to come back together and share. It's going to be very informal, but it is going to be designed for us to connect to people around the globe. I've had 65 people sign up that they want to do it from 25 different states and seven different countries. So that gathering once a month, I can see it growing and growing and growing, and it's free. You don't have to pay anything. You just show up with your heart open your ears open and your ideas flowing and together we will continue to push this movement not just here but globally because this is not a movement of one space or place this is a global movement so having said all of that and i have said a lot whoo please 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 do me a favor Read and learn more about what we talked today, talked about today, and that is the historical context of indigenous people and the oppressive acts that happened. But also, please go out into the world and do something absolutely awesome.